Hello, welcome to Strange Level Movies. My name is Olivia Martinez, and I'm joined by my two lovely and talented parents who are also my co-hosts. Why don't you all introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Emily Martinez. And I'm Oscar Martinez, Liv's dad. Great. Anyway, so we're going to be discussing two films that have to do with boxing. One is the 1954 film On the Waterfront, and the other film is Raging Bull by Mr. Martin Scorsese from 1980. So my dad is a huge Marlon Brando buff, right, Dad? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you always talk about him. What? Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have grown up knowing about Brando my entire life, and On the Waterfront is one of his key roles, right? Hey, just because we saw The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, and On the Waterfront back to back to back doesn't make me a Marlon Brando fan, but I guess if it does, it does. Okay, I'm okay. a Brando fan. So for all my listeners, Brando is a keen role in all three of those. Anyway, so Dad, would you like to explain On the Waterfront for everyone? Uh, sure. Um, oh, and this is also a no spoilers, even though this film is 50 years old. Yes, it's <laughs> a film from 1954, as you heard. Um, Marlon Brando plays a, a former boxer who's a longshoreman. And if you don't know what a longshoreman is, they, they're the, the, the gentlemen, the guys who work on the docks, unloading ships and doing things like that. And so it's real manual labor. Um, and there's a union involved and there's all sorts of things going on. There's corruption. Yeah, there's there's elements of corruption, the mobs involved mm -hmm. and they kind of control some of the union. And it's hard when you said no, I was ready to spoil it because there's, there's it's hard not to have a spoiler in it. But he basically is conflicted and he meets a good girl who's yeah, who, he's just not good for her. But yeah, she and, and she's back. she's totally out of his league and, and totally in a different class and. And there's a priest involved as well who, you know, um, is trying to improve things for the working men on the dock. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of interesting because it's not he's 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 past his prime. He doesn't box anymore. And it's just kind of it gets some into some interesting, some really famous classic quotes from the movie involving. It could have been a contender. Exactly. Some really classic quotes about um, opportunity loss. And he had his one night and just didn't work out, but it wasn't his fault. Let's just put it that way. And the acting performance is just insane. Like any, no normal actor could pull it off because it is such an acting kind of film. And I think, I mean, I think the whole cast is great, but Brando especially. Woo. Yeah, it's a classic movie, but really, I think the acting performance by Marlon Brando is iconic. I mean, it's certainly one of those that I, I, I've never taken an acting class, but it's the sort of performance that I, I I've, believe actors who study mm -hmm. drama probably always look at that movie and that performance and really kind of see it as something that changed the way actors take on roles and inhabit roles. Yeah. And there's a famous scene where, um, as I recall, he's flirting with the girl and again, this really upper class woman and he, um, she's not, it's not so much that she's upper yeah, class. Yeah, no, no, she she's, really she's from the, you're right. She's yeah. just, um, she's, she's from the a neighborhood. Really good woman. Yeah. And, and she went, really, and she went to Catholic school. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That's, very yeah a good girl. A good Catholic girl. school girl. Yeah. And anyway, but yeah. she, um, when he's kind of flirting with her and he's, she drops a glove and he picks it up and he tries it on. And that wasn't in the script. That, that was all Brando, like trying something on that, that just sounds like something the goofy guy might do to, not so much to impress her, but he's just kind of fiddling with his hands and he puts it on. And, and, and it's then just, the OJ prosecutors decided to do the same thing yeah, 40 a, years later. That's a different story. We'll get to that in episode 17. No, I think that's something that mom hit on about his performance. I think that's one of the reasons why both this and Raging Bull, the performances are so good that almost you don't really want to watch it. 
multiple <laughs> times, honestly, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, hey, let's watch On the Waterfront again, because there's just so much roughness. Neither of them are feel-good movies no. at all. Because I think just because you actually end up feeling so much mm-hmm. for the characters, it's hard to hard to really deal with it, deal with multiple viewings. Yeah, yeah. and they have a lot of similarities. I mean, obviously, um, well, not obviously, if you haven't seen either of them, but they're both in black and white, and they both received... Um, Best Oscar, Best Actor, right? Uh, De Niro and... Spoiler Brandon. alert, we were going to be talking about awards later. Oh, yes. sorry. Never okay, mind. so I think we're going to move on to Raging Bull now. And with Raging Bull, Mom, would you like to explain? Cause I think you're better, actually, because you were describing it earlier. Like okay, you. essentially this film is toxic masculinity at its finest. My mom <laughs> and I always joke about it, but after watching this, I just looked at her and said, this is toxic masculinity, right? <laughs> so basically there's a boxer, and he was a real guy. What's his name? Jake LaMotta? Is mm-hmm. that his name? And he was a real boxer, and I think he had a very raw autobiography. And Martin Scorsese, who's the famous director, y'all all know who that is. But he actually decided to make this film after a cocaine overdose, which is wild. Because did you know that, Mom? I did not. I didn't realize that he had such a drug problem. <laughs> yeah, because he seems like such a control freak. So to think that little Marty Scorsese's over here almost dying. Anyway, so he reads the autobiography, and he's just moved, and he realizes the preciousness of life. So he decides to make Raging Bull. And I don't think it took a lot of convincing for Robert De Niro, who is the lead of this film, because it's such a great part, and him and Marty are such good friends. And it was, wasn't this like the second or third movie in a row that he, that um, De Niro had starred in for Scorsese? Oh, for sure. And then they had several more after that, so it was a real, they were real partners. And then Leo took his place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, anyway, so Raging Bull, basically it is a boxer, and there are a lot of boxing scenes, obviously, and it's just following him through his life and his relationship with his brother, who is played by Joe Pesci, and his relationship with his new and younger wife. I don't remember. What's the actress's name? Her name's Kathy Moriarty. She's pretty. Mm-hmm. Where did she go? Yeah. Nowhere? She, yeah. She supposedly starts out in the movie as age 16. She didn't really look 16. But oh, yeah. She looked younger, though. Remember she that? She was 16 years old. And I'm thinking, I wish I looked like that at 16. Yeah. But I wouldn't want some creepo boxer wanting to, like, <laughs> True, marry you might me. not want to attract that kind of guy. No. But anyway, so the entire film is about relationships. And even though it is a quote-unquote boxing movie, it has nothing to do with boxing in the long term. It has some good boxing scenes. Yeah, they're but, beautiful. Yeah. And did y'all know the reason it's in black and white is because when in the editing room, and the editor is Thelma Schoonmaker, is that her name? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know how to pronounce it, but she's, she's, yeah, brilliant. she's real famous. Legendary yeah. She's one, I think, film editor. Yeah, two or three Oscars. She's amazing. But when they were in the editing room, they realized that it's just so gory, some of those scenes, so they had to put it in black and white because the blood looked ridiculous. And also his um, boxing attire was red, and it just looked too, like, rocky, kind of, mm-hmm. and just very cheesy. Because yeah. so, this was this was several years after Rocky, just a few years after Rocky, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was definitely after Rocky. Yeah. But yes. it just looked a little too ridiculous. And since it was in the old days anyway, they decided to move it black and white. Well, that's the thing about boxing. It's such a violent sport. I mean, it, and it's such a weird juxtaposition, because you have people dressing up, these women in, in evening gowns and guys in tuxedos, and there's stories of them in the front and in real life, right, in the yeah. front ring, getting blood all over them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. You know? yeah. I don't think there's any other in sport that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Similarities of the movies, again, now that you know a little bit more about Raging Bull, it's in black and white, It's it's but it's an active boxer, and yet it, it carries through his entire career mm-hmm. post-boxing, and that's where it really gets similar in, in a way that... 
Well, I, I won't. Spoiler alert. I don't want to want to spoil it. So you go ahead. Okay. And I also think that boxing, the reason why I've always asked mom, like, why is every great actor a boxer at some point in his career? Because it wasn't Daniel Day-Lewis a boxer at one point. Yeah. I swear, every boxer, actor ever. Yeah. And I think it's because boxing is so easy to understand. It's just two people in a ring and one person's going to try to knock the other guy out. And that's kind of it. And I think that boxers are usually so tortured on the inside and they think that they deserve the punishment of the sport they're playing that they end up, I don't know. It's just it's a primal yes, um, very yeah, human thing nature. where, I mean, people, just the strongest man wins. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it is. I mean, boxing itself is the ultimate, I guess, in toxic ma- masculinity. Oh, yeah. But, um, but also, I think there's a sense of, it's sort of like there's tragedy because usually boxers it seems like come from pretty humble backgrounds and you wonder, okay, is this their only, is this their way out? Is this their way up? And so you can't help but have a certain rooting interest in their success. But then also what they're doing for a living is such a violent, dangerous, potentially deadly thing that there has to be a side to these, to any boxer that is dangerous and yeah. um, not the not the kind of person you want to tangle with. No, definitely in real not. Life. And Jake LaMotta, who is Robert De Niro's character in Raging Bull, he is just so horrible to his wife. And aren't when you're abusive as a boxer, isn't it considered a deadly weapon? Your fists or whatever. Yes. That's yeah. That's I think wild. there's a law that if they ever get in a fight, a bar fight or whatever, that it, they can be charged with. What is it? Assault with a deadly weapon or whatever. Yeah, because their true story. Are so mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah, I'm not yeah. marrying a boxer, FYI. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay, so now let's compare the two films. I mean, okay, we already said they're both in black and white. They're both, I mean, wonderfully acted. And I think that another interesting thing, this is not really a spoiler, but at the end of Raging Bull, Robert De Niro is um, doing a monologue from On the Waterfront. And I think that is just so strange to end a film quoting another film that obviously heavily inspired it. What do y'all think? Yes, I think that's a great last scene. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it ties into the whole, is this going to be an episode down the line where, remember, they both play the same character years later. Yes, that is, no, actually it was years before. Oh, years before, yeah, you're right. I think that's so weird that, okay, so The Godfather, if you guys haven't seen it, go watch it, the trilogy Immediately, Mother likes the third film, unlike some people. I like all, I mean, the third film is my least favorite, but I do think it's underrated. Yes, because some people say it's a cash grab. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So um, basically in The Godfather, Marlon Brando is playing old Vito Corleone and Robert De Niro in the second Godfather plays young Vito. And so then a few years later, Robert De Niro is quoting old veto it's just it's so weird i can't even explain. quoting not veto but yeah, yeah. quoting Brando. character yeah. on the waterfront and godfather 2 is what gave um de niro his role i mean his life like that's why he's famous you know that right that was his first big role yeah uh, okay i, I think that was before that. scorsese yeah it was. yeah and that was the first um oscar that uh, de niro won and he won it for playing the same role as marlon brando won his oscar for and not yes. until the Joker and um, what was it? The Dark, Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Yeah, that that that's the first time that it happened. Or that's the second time that it happened. And where, the Joker, where the same character. Yeah, the same character. Playing, yeah, mm-hmm. different actors playing the same character. What both win? Now. Yeah. One point I was going to make was um, it's it's interesting. There's so much violence in both of the movies, and there's some mob elements, but you never, I don't think you ever see a gun. 
you know, there's some really bad people and there's some mobsters who basically bully people and kill people. I don't think... On the waterfront, I thought at the end. I don't know. I don't think so. Nothing in the traditional way. No, you know, I don't think any... I could be totally wrong on that, but anyway, but it's a reminder that there's other forms of violence and especially with the, um, the verbal abuse to not just as why he was mean to everybody in raging bull and the other one, not so much. He was more inward, but still he was, you know, everybody else around him was, was mean to everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. and also in raging bull, he is horrible to his brother who seems to be the only person who actually cares about him. Cause I mean, his wife does care about him, but I mean, she's over that really quickly, but his brother is constantly trying to help him. And his brother is played by Joe Pesci. No, the only time Joe, Joe Pesci is actually probably the best guy in the I movie. know, and he, he's still not great at all. <laughs> no, but he's still, at least he tries yeah. to do. And if y'all right. don't know, Joe Pesci is in Goodfellas. He's the crazy person in that. And he's also in Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, I hadn't even thought about this, but Brothers in On the Waterfront, yes. Marlon Brando's brother is... That kind of the cause of all his troubles. Yeah, yeah. So that's true. The role of brothers is very similar. Ah, both. Or yeah. not, I mean, the, the characters are different, but brothers play a big role it's in good each connection. film. And yeah. I think brothers fuel toxic masculinity. I say it again. <laughs> and also one more thing about, um, before we go on, yeah. um, you mentioned the two great acting performances, but... And you mentioned Scorsese, but On the Waterfront is directed by Ilya Kazan. Oh, yeah. Who also is a really, really renowned director. He did director. Streetcar Named Desire, East of Eden, Splendor in the Grass. Yeah. Right. Very respected. I think he was a, and a, he was a stage director first. Right. You can so tell. So I'd, like I'd like to look up sometime and see. I wonder if he directed Marlon Brando on the stage before. He might he could have. could have. Hmm. Since he directed him in Streetcar Named Desire, too, I don't know. But. I wonder what their relationship was like, because they did do a few films together, because, well, this is like a, another Godfather fact, and we'll talk about the Godfather one day. But he was supposed to direct the Godfather, oh, and really? Brando said, "No, I'm not doing that." Uh, and so they had to switch it all up. And also, what's his name? Lawrence Olivier was going to play Vito. Oh my goodness! <laughs> really? Sounds horrendous. Olivier is a great actor, yeah. but I cannot see him as a mob boss. <laughs> no, I know. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, no. <laughs> So they had to, they switched that all up. But yeah, Elia Kazan, he's super famous, right? Right. And is he Greek or what? No, he's American. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but wasn't he, didn't he have a big immigrant story that his, he grew up, his parents came from Italy? Or oh, maybe. Some some place. Or maybe Ukraine or something. I mean, he's. he's, I just know in one of those weird unrelated facts, I know that, um, speaking of Olivier, I believe Olivier and Vivian Lee were married at his home. Oh, oh really? really? That's right. That so then he definitely was involved in the stage because wasn't they, they were, were huge? Yeah, stage they were buzz. stage people. Okay. I'm pretty sure I remember that right. Anyway, let's move on to the Oscars. So the Oscars in 1955, that was when On the Waterfront was nominated for all that stuff. And it ended up winning Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress. So that really pretty girl, what was her name again? I already... uh, Eva Marie Saint. Yeah, so she won Best Supporting Actress. Marlon Brando won Best Actor. It won Best Art Direction, Black and White. I'm not sure what that is because that's not a thing anymore. But I guess there's an art direction for color and black and white. Oh, and they changed. That's funny. Because this film could have been in color. Yes. But I'm glad they didn't do that. It would have taken away from it. And then it won Best Cinematography, Best Screenplay, Best Director, Best Editing, and Best Picture. So it basically, it won everything. Wow. (laughs) Talk about a sweep. And it deserves it. Oh, and I think it ages better than most of the movies that won a lot of Oscars in that 
period. I think it, it's something that you can still go back and enjoy now and feel like it's um, it's really an enjoyable movie to watch as opposed to just looking at it as an artifact of, oh, this is a famous movie I think I should see. I think people today can actually watch it and enjoy it and get something out of it. And that's not true, unfortunately, of, of some of those movies of that period. Funny enough, a lot of times I'm talking about the movies that did win all the awards that just don't... They don't hit right anymore. Right. Okay, so the films that beat, tell me if any of these are better. I doubt they are. The Kane Mutiny, The Country Girl, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Three Coins in the Fountain. Kane Mutiny is, is good. We saw it like 10 or so years ago. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty good. Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. It has, but it's not, bad. not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so none no. of those are showstoppers. No, no. Okay, so On the Waterfront, basically clean sweep at the Oscars, won everything, and it deserved it. Okay, so now we're going to Raging Bull. And, um, well, it won Best Actor, Robert De Niro, of course, rightfully so. And it won Best Editing, Thelma Schoonmaker. I don't know her last name, but she's a queen. And she, we could have one episode devoted to, to Thel- trying to pronounce everybody's name. Yeah, our queen Thelma. It's so crazy, though, that there's so many women editors. We need to talk about that one day. Yes. I, don't under- I need to research that. Did y'all know that was Joe Pesci's first role? No, I didn't realize it. He's had so many, he's been in so many well known movies since that it's funny to think that was the first time he was on screen. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that either. And yeah, it was literally his first credited role, his first um, lines spoken, because I think he had a few extra roles. So I don't know how Scorsese found him, but amen to that. Well, anyway, again, he may have been one of those stage people in mm, New York. I, uh, really? Maybe. Possibly. Anyway, Joe Pesci, he lost, of course, supporting actor. Um, Timothy Hutton won. Okay, what was that? Ordinary people, or what? yeah, ordinary people. Okay. Yeah, ordinary people. I remember that one a lot of awards. Yeah, and then cinematography it lost, which is weird because that was a beautiful film. It, film it lost to Tess. Okay, wow, Roman Polanski. Ew. Yeah. Ew. It's a, it was. Yeah, it was kind of. Yeah. We don't support him. It's not that great. No, no. I mean, it's great based on a great book, Tess of the Dark. Yeah, one of my favorite but, authors. Really, yeah. Thomas Harding. Yeah. But the movie is, yeah, I never really seek that out these days. <laughs> I like the name test. Um, and then, of course, Mr. Scorsese lost directing Ordinary People to Robert Redford, Mom's Love. <laughs> was he still cute at this point? I think he was still handsome. He wasn't in that movie. He just directed it. And it was a good movie. At the time, I remember it. Um, a lot of people liked it. A lot of people who didn't like serious movies liked Ordinary People. And I think it was mostly because Mary Tyler Moore was in it. She oh, was and in she's a funny, serious right? role. Yeah, but she was in a serious role. And uh, so it was, it was a good film, but not, not nearly I mean, as looking good as back, Raging Bull. I mean, I don't know how he filmed some of those like one-shot scenes. That Coco Cabana scene in Goodfellas is so famous, but the mm. one-shot scene, one-take scene in Raging Bull is Oh, uh, yeah, wild. when he comes out for the fight and yeah. they're following him from the dressing room to the ring. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. it went through like 50 different extras. It was just chaos. I don't know how they did that. Is that yeah. the first time that's been done? Uh, it mm, Probably not, actually. But Two words, Orson Welles. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm yeah, sure he used yeah. to do stuff like that. For yeah. Like, Citizen yeah. Kane or Touch of Evil. Yeah, Touch of Evil, probably. Oh, yeah, Touch of Evil. Yeah. The very first scene. Yes. It's like, okay. Anyway, and then it lost Best Picture. Guess to what? Uh, wasn't it Ordinary People? Yes, of course. I need to see Ordinary People, I guess. Eh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of depressing. And anyway, you thought Raging Bull was depressing, watch Ordinary oh. People. <laughs> anyway, so then the. Um, it also, okay, the other movies that lost that year were Coal Miner's Daughter. Isn't that about Loretta Lynn? Mm-hmm. It is. Is it yeah. good? 
It's pretty good. Yeah. I I don't know. Good. I feel like you've mentioned it before. Not yeah. It's not great, but um, again, that was what well acted and good story. Pass. <laughs> okay. Also, the Elephant Man and Tess. Those are the other two. Okay. Really? That's yeah. not very strong. No, not it's not. Yeah. I think looking back, De Niro, I'm so glad that he won the Oscar for this. He put his heart and soul into it. But Martin Scorsese should have won. I mean, I mean, he went so long without winning a Best Director. That's ridiculous. Well, not only he put his heart and soul in it. I mean, he, didn't he gain like 80 pounds for the role? Yes. I mean, that was all. Really? He, he, and, and it makes you wonder when they filmed that. And you know, we talked about that when we were watching it. Did, did he film that? Was that the, the first? No, they had to be the end, right? He had to film it when he was younger and in so. shape and like fighting. He, maybe he gained all that weight and filmed the scenes where he was overweight. Yeah, and then but then lost it or lost the other no, way around. Other way had around. to be the other way around, but it, that, takes some, that takes some doing to no, gain and to lose that And nowadays weight. you hear about actors doing that all the time. But Christian that, Bale. He probably was, I yeah. thought he was the first one to really do that yeah. for a movie. And you can tell, because in the beginning it shows him kind of as, not an old man, but maybe in his 50s or something. And I, I told Dad, I was like, is this a different actor? But I realized, oh, it's De Niro, my bad. Mm-hmm. And it's just strange. Yeah, he literally becomes another person, which yes. is what acting is all about, you know, is mm-hmm. becoming, mm-hmm. you know, inhabiting the role and becoming that, that other person, which is amazing. So just for that alone, you know, he, he maybe deserved it for going uh, to that, that extreme effort. And also, I mean, I think what's notable is that, um, like in On the Waterfront, Brando's character is um, he's a really good character because he's kind of an ordinary, not so bright guy. Um, but you you're on his side. You're sympathetic to him and you're rooting for him. Um, in Raging Bull, it seems like whenever we watch a movie, we always empathize with the main character, and so yeah. we're we're kind of rooting for him to succeed. But, and eh. but he's not at all a likable character. There's he's, nothing. There's else. very little. Um, to redeem him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not, and yet you still, there's something about him that you have some sympathy for things that he goes through. But um, but that's unusual to be able to watch a whole movie with the main character that you really don't, don't like. like much. That's true. That, no, that's a good point. Because even in Joker, I think they tried to pull off that, yeah. but instead it was kind of jumbled and people ended up loving Joaquin's character. Right, right. Because they sympathized with him. It was so sad. Yeah, the beginning. he was kind of pathetic yeah. in a way. Yeah. But I think, so yeah, I think it is very hard to have a lead who you just do not like. Right. But at the same time, kind of still care about what happens to them. And the other thing about Raging Bull is that it, it kind of starts in the middle. It just be- begins. It doesn't yes. explain his parents, his upbringing. No flashbacks, no narrator, no nothing. And it was just you're seeing life as it, as he lives it. More like know. a snapshot exactly, of his yeah. life. And I love this year to like these year, this year. Yeah, I love. Yeah, it was like interesting. That. I mean, it's over a number of years, but it's like, yeah, starts in kind of in the middle and ends before he dies. You know, kind of in the middle. So, it's yeah, and it doesn't tell you what came before and how how his life ended. Yeah, and a fun fact about Raging Bull is in the middle of it. Remember how there's some home videos in color? Apparently, all across the country. They thought that the like people who were doing the what was it called the ones running the projectors yeah, projectionists yes yeah. they were very confused and like calling the studio like I think someone's home film accidentally got into this because it's just so <laughs> off so random but I think that's a brilliant way he told the story because I think it talked about their wedding and their kid's birth and all this stuff just through these 
a short snippet of home videos, which I think is cool. That is cool. And that could be, that probably is the first time they did that. I don't know. I've seen, yeah. Martin Scorsese's copied so much that I don't even know. I know, what, it's hard to know what he came up with. That's what, what's hard about those he, classics because, yeah. And he's such a student of film. And I'm sure he also quotes steals from a lot of the yeah. greats. I mean, because he knows knows his film history so it's hard to know what he's taking from something else and what he's inventing right and they know so much about movies um what's interesting about i always thought was interesting about black and white film that's not how people live their lives even those old photos you see of your grandparents on a farm somewhere there was color there but they didn't have color isn't that weird and you you see it and you place it in time and that's why nowadays when you have these filters and you put yourself in black and white it's weird. It's like it's like, well, you know it's not. That's not how you're viewing yourself and other people view you. But 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 earlier when you were talking about the the blood and all that, it's it probably looked too fake or something, mm-hmm. you know, that that it didn't come across as well. And I think you'll see that in any black and white movie made after nineteen forty, probably, especially nineteen fifty or sixty, and then going forward it's it's a complete artificial environment and yet it certainly works. When it works, think, it works. I think it ages better. That's why when people say I don't like, I don't watch black and white films, I'm thinking, but it ages so much better than some of those gross colored films in the beginning, you know? I agree, yeah. So I think that people shouldn't just discount a movie because it's black and well, white. Well, what you were saying earlier, the reason I said colorization, there was a trend, I think it was in the 80s, they would put color, uh, like Casablanca was a famous scene. It was a classic black and white film. Ew. Did and they, they colorized color? it. Ooh. And I think it was frame by frame. I don't know. It was hand painted. There was some process they had. And so um, can you imagine if they did that with one of these? Now, it's kind of interesting every once in a while to see what they were wearing. Like, oh, no. Yeah, the yeah. clothes. That's yeah. the only thing. Because yeah. Brando has that famous checkered jacket yeah. on the waterfront. And it's red and black, right? We yeah. established that, but yeah. we were always wondering, what is that? It's. Okay. I think it'd be so ugly if it was in color because it looked, it looked kind of cool in black and white. But and it might distract from the. It will distract yes. from the look. That way, you're just focused on the performances. You're focused on the actors and actresses, right? Okay. Well, I mean, just like black and white photography. If it's a good photograph, I think it's more. Um, I don't know. Resonant. It resonates from something more than color. A I, lot I of think times. so too. It's more haunting, maybe. And um, I think films the same way, where um, it's not like every black and white film is better than every color film. Mm-hmm. Not at all. But um, black and white sometimes surprises you with just how much it, um, like you say, holds up well and how how good it looks years later, as opposed to color, which sometimes gives away its. It ages period it, yes. or the decade it was made by all the the bright colors. I agree. Okay, so finally, do you guys think that anyone else could have played these characters? I can't think of. I wonder who else. It'd be interesting could, to know who else was considered for the role. Could Al Pacino? I mean, I know Al Pacino and Robert De Niro always, or Dustin Al- Hoff, the Hoffman. Probably not no. Hoffman. I think um, I think Al Pacino could have played the Raging Bull role, but, he, but he's so short. Yeah, he's a short <laughs> I mean, I love Al Pacino, but he is a pretty short guy, which um, I don't think boxers have to be super tall, but he's really just not an athletic-looking person. And I think he's so, he has so much rage in some of those scenes. <laughs> I think that it would be <laughs> like, ah! Because yeah. in this film... Although uh, that was the... I think that was before... I mean, Pacino's such a good he actor. Before he lost it. Before he got, well, I mean, he's still a really good actor when he wants to be, but sometimes he overdoes it. Yeah. yeah. But I think that what's interesting about De Niro is 
you can tell there's a lot of rage and anguish in him in the beginning, but he he isn't just flat out insane at the beginning. But I think Pacino would just be like, ah! Well, and then Brando, uh, when he was going up for parts back in the day, Paul Newman was a big rival. Do you guys like Paul Newman? Oh, yeah. He's, he's really good. And but, he played a boxer. And he played a boxer, too, in a, in a different movie. What so movie? He, he could have done it. It was called uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me. Oh, and cool he, uh, um, But... Um, James Dean. James Dean was another one who was uh, up for those oh, roles. Yeah, actually, yeah, he, I can maybe him. he was kind of too pretty. He's and, such a and, baby. Joke. And then there's Montgomery Cleft. He was another he was one, but he was way too, too pretty. Looking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. not a boxer looking guy. Brando was still very cute in this film, obviously. But I, I mean, and somebody who would look the part is somebody like John Wayne. But see, he just didn't yeah. have the acting chops. <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to. But I mean, yeah, you need somebody words, who looked. Like you'd, yeah, you'd have to look. Find somebody who actually looks strong enough to be a boxer and yet also could act. Yeah, and somebody who looked kind of tough, and that's yeah. that he certainly fit the bill. And in that case, they both fit the bill. You know, they look they look pretty, pretty tough. You know. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I think that's just about wraps it up. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. I hope you guys will check these two films out. They're both on the Criterion Channel, which we forgot to plug at the beginning, but that <laughs> yeah. is basically a Netflix for film buffs. Um, it has what Dad, you can explain it. You're a big Criterion man. Um, yeah, they, what they do in, in addition to just having a channel, they're known historically for restoring films. I mean, we saw a film from, what was that, that, that Joan of Arc thing? That was from the 1920s. Yeah, it It looked, looked, it looked crystal, it was, it was clear and there's no way they could have seen, they could have done that if they hadn't restored it. And so there's some real, they're not just film buffs, they're archivists. They they go into the archives, they restore these films. And so you know you're getting the best quality version of this this movie. And so when uh, this COVID uh, quarantine and all that happened, we thought, well, it's probably worth ten dollars and ninety nine cents a month to get this and kind of see some some films that we uh, always had meant to see again, or just kind of catch and up. They, and they change what the movies they're streaming month by month. I mean, I think some of the films probably are are on for quite a few months. Raging Bull and On the Waterfront are still there because yeah. those two are just kind of timeless. But yeah. yeah, they definitely change some the of films them. Up. Change up, yeah. Any last points, guys? Uh, the only thing is, yeah, we we uh, the name of this podcast is kind of what we uh, we, we do. We movies have such a power over over your lives and. They don't necessarily guide what you do, but you think about them and and uh, these characters, especially the best characters, all the best movies always have really good characters. And that's the other thing these these two movies share that yes. really strong characters. You kind of feel like you know them. You don't want to know them. But at the same time, yeah, you you uh, you kind of know what to avoid maybe in life. If you're gonna date a guy, maybe who's a boxer, who <laughs> yeah, no, you know seems you. really nice and has a fancy car, stay away, girls, you know that kind of thing. But <laughs> and, that's uh, and also, yeah, going back to the the title of the podcast, it's um, we call it a strange love of movies because our um, the three of us, I guess, share a strange love of movies. <laughs> yes, it says it all. Not many. We have an, a, a strange fascination with all types of movies and um, this is a fun way to start the podcast series because I think we'll have fun just kind of exploring our our taste for sure guys so check out Raging Bull and On the Waterfront and we will see you guys next week bye guys